I'm Nicholas Bornels of CapitalLink, and uh, I have the distinct uh, pleasure and honor to uh, introduce this uh, panel to you. Uh, this panel uh, will deal with navigating through and past the COVID-19 disruption. The panel will discuss the human element and shipping and the global supply chain and all the challenges uh, and risks that uh, the current environment is providing. So without any further delay, I will uh, turn it over to uh, Edward, uh, who is uh, moderating this panel. Uh, Edward is in Hong Kong, and uh, we, have, uh, we have a great panel with us from all over the world. This is uh, the accomplishment of modern technology, uh, all connected uh, from Singapore, Cyprus, uh, New York, uh, uh, Shanghai, and, and so on. So here we go, uh, Edward. Uh, over. Thank you, Nicholas. Um, it's really my great pleasure to be the moderator of this very distinguished panelist and introduce myself first that I'm Edward Liu, who is a council and legal director of Hugh Dickinson Hong Kong, and I'm also a principal representative of the International Chamber of Shipping, China Liaison Office. And today with us for the panelists who are Mr. Beyond CEO of Anglo Eastern Univant Group, and he is also the chairman of Hong Kong Shipowner Association. And Mr. Dennis Van Hansen, who is the vice president, head of global mining, BW Fleet, Fleet Management. And Mr. Mark O'Neill, president of Columbia Ship Management. And Mr. Terence Zhao, managing director of Xinhai Marine Services. And Mr. Alan Follenberg, uh, Chief Executive Officer, Crew Management and Offshore from V Ships. And uh, again, that is really my great pleasure to be uh, here with all of you uh, today to uh, discuss about the, uh, about the, uh, the first panel uh, discussion uh, relating to navigating through and past uh, the COVID-19 disruption. Uh, before I'm, and of course that as Nicholas also introduced, that the major issue that we are going to discuss is about the crew change crisis caused by COVID-19 pandemic. But because the pandemic is still looming, I think um, we should not ignore this. And I, I therefore would like to give uh, it a bit minutes for a discussion about how's your specific line of business or works being affected by it. Um, I hope that we can, by starting with this, to uh, then move on to the to the main, uh, major major issues, so please, my invite Mark uh, to let us know uh, what is the, the 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 impact on your uh, ship management company, especially from uh, the ship ship management and operation perspective, Mark. Sorry, I'll start again. I'm on. I'm on mute. Uh, thank you, Edward, and and thank you also to Nicholas and and, and Capital Link for having me on this panel. I, I think, in a in a nutshell, what we've seen with COVID nineteen and the effects is that it's been a real accelerator of change, a real catalyst for change, and many of those changes that we've seen in the last six months would have in any other uh, situation have taken many, many years to come about. I think companies like ours have seen 
the need for proactivity if we didn't get it before we certainly do now uh, rather than reactivity you know we had to be proactive as soon as we heard that uh, COVID-19 was out there we had to put in place business continuity plans and departmental continuity plans and personal continuity plans uh, for all aspects of our uh, professional and personal lives and then keep reviewing those as we go along and it's really led to a very focused business strategy and implementation uh, um, as, a, as a consequence and I think that is something that is going to uh, remain with us. We've also looked at our model and uh, tried to explore how we can localize business more so whereas before um, individuals, uh, superintendents, technical superintendents, marine superintendents would have been sent from our offices to vessels. Now, because of the restrictions on travel, we're looking at trying to harness our partnerships and our strategic collaborations around the world and really use local suppliers uh, much, much more. So I think we've seen a, a, a localization, perhaps a move against globalization, or perhaps it is part of globalization, who knows. Um, Nicholas mentioned uh, technology right at the start in, insofar as here we all are, um, six or seven people uh, from very much the four corners of, uh, of the world coming together and I think technology really has been uh, accelerated and will be and is a huge differentiator as between the various performances of uh, ship, shipping operators and, and, and managers or, or whatever field they, they might be in. You know, if I look at our uh, performance optimization control room and what started as a uh, perhaps pre-COVID-19 as a nice to have, now very much is a must have. And we're seeing technology accelerating at huge, uh, hugely uh, uh, fast rates going forward. We've also looked at a very in innovative steps because again, we can't uh, send our people out to vessels in the same way as we could, becoming more easy, I have to say, but, but uh, uh, certainly at the beginning, we're looking at remote survey protocols, really putting the responsibility, the emphasis back on board the vessel rather than sending people uh, out. So uh, in line with uh, classification societies and oil majors, really looking at remote surveys and, and, and finessing that and, and saving costs and time in, in that regard. But I think the biggest single change that we've all seen uh, is in relation to our regard for what really matters. And that's in our personal lives and in our professional lives. And what really matters in all of this is our people. And, you know, we uh, I've just come across uh, off a, a, another uh, video conference where we were talking about the same sort of issue. The importance of our people, the importance of our crew, the importance of our staff, the importance of our clients, the people in our clients' offices, the importance of our uh, contractual partners. And really, this people focus is perhaps the single most important 
aspect or change or, or consequence of COVID-19 because we will be judged when we come out of this as a company on how we looked after our people, whether the crew choose to remain with the Columbia family, uh, as we like to think ourselves, and has the, has, have the parents, have the, um, the protectors of that family done enough for their crew. We think we have through mental health, through benefits, through training, through fitness, through identifying with our crew, but really, that the, the day of judgment will come at the end. And uh, for all of us, I think, in relation to whether or not we focused on our, our, our people enough. Then, of course, finally, we have, you know, what have we learned through all of this process? You know, working from home, all of these new, um, perhaps fluffy, trendy ideas pre-COVID-19 now very much home to roost. And will they stay? Probably not, because we've also seen that whilst working from home was a nice um, it was nice to be able to do it at the beginning of COVID-19. Now that a lot of us are back in the office, we realize the huge importance of social interaction and brainstorming. And you can't do that uh, it, uh, over a, a video conference. Even these video conferences, great as they are, don't beat the real thing. And I'm sure Nicholas and Capital Link can't wait to get back to real time uh, a conference where people can interact more uh, more readily and, and more easily. And the power of human interaction is, is, is really, really important. Um, and finally, I think uh, final thing is solidarity. Of course, competition between companies is hugely important. Competition drives innovation and, and companies have to be competitive for the benefit of the client, for the benefit of the market, but also solidarity, solidarity on humanitarian issues, on safety issues, and again, on people issues, better effective rotation of our crews on board vessels that comes through solidarity and working together so lots and lots and lots of lessons to be learned from uh, covid19 and i don't personally not neither does the organization look upon this as a dead period or a period that we've lost i think we've gained probably far more than we've lost and and, and our businesses have been shaped um uh, rather more rapidly to be fit for purpose for uh, the future challenges which will inevitably await us on, on, the, on the shipping horizon. Exactly. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mark. I do agree that actually, just like us now, um, the networking between uh, people and people are really important and much appreciated now by most of the people uh, uh, all around the world. And also, I agree that the globalization is at stake because of this um, uh, uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, what I've heard from you is that um, the, not only the global supply chain, but also the supply chain of the human powers uh, is also uh, 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 in, in very difficult position because of this unprecedented uh, uh, COVID-19 pandemic. So Terence, do you agree with Mark? And uh, would you please give a very short uh, uh, further supplementary from your perspective, what kind of uh, the, or the most difficulty, uh, difficult uh, challenges that you were facing in the past um, six or eight months since the outbreak of COVID-19? Yeah, thank you, Edward. So uh, I think Marine Service uh, we are purely uh, a mining company. So we were badly affected by this COVID-19 pandemic uh, especially in the first few months when uh, the whole China uh, at least are on the lockdown. So our Chinese crew cannot travel, cannot go overseas, cannot sign out. And also uh, at the same time, our Chinese crew, our, 
outside China, they can only go back to China. Uh, so it's a uh, it's very bad. Uh, every week I look at my number on board actually is uh, down and down. So on the other hand, our full cell Chinese crew, uh, so having a big problem, they have a very very big pressure. So because the time in the China is locked down outside, everybody look at China differently, look at Chinese differently. So that's a very bad time for us. But fortunately, Chinese government, uh, they did a, it's a very good job, uh, to be honest. So from uh, April onwards, uh, okay, the country is gradually uh, open, uh, gradually come back to uh, a bit normal. Of course, it's new normal. So then we, actually have a better situation. So the most important the government actually encourage Chinese crew sign on sign off in uh, China port. Uh, so uh, at least bad or, or good now currently, uh, we can see uh, more and more uh, ship owners, they have a new delivery in China. So since they cannot send, send their own people come to China, they actually they try to use more uh, Chinese crew. This given a very good op good opportunity uh, to our business to our Chinese crew. So now you look at the market uh, is is increased amazing. So we have a very shortage of Chinese crew because everybody come to China look for Chinese crew. At the same time, also the salary wise also getting a little bit uh, higher than before. Uh, that's the situation is uh, uh, is uh, maybe it's a little bit uh, better off. Uh, thank you, everyone. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Terence, and uh, exactly that you have brought us to uh, the stage about the main issue that for our panel discussion today is about the crew change crisis. Indeed, as you just mentioned as well, uh, despite um, some of the countries have now relaxed, try to relax the uh, crew change restriction, um, still uh, the continuing ability of ship operators to conduct crew changes has been the single, I think, everyone would agree the single greatest operational challenge confronting the global shipping industry since um, the outbreak of uh, COVID-19 in the end of January. And of course, the, because I'm based in Hong Kong and uh, Hong Kong actually uh, since early June upon the great efforts uh, um, uh, of, the, of the local uh, shipping industry, especially led by uh, Hong Kong Ship Owners Associations, the Hong Kong government decided to uh, relax the crew change um, or to facilitate the crew change in Hong Kong. But unfortunately, because of the, uh, the third wave uh, or the resurgence of COVID-19 uh, in Hong Kong since uh, mid of July, uh, Hong Kong government had no alternative but to uh, uh, strengthen the restriction again. And during the whole fighting or whole uh, campaign uh, 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 trying to uh, 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 negotiate with the government, especially to show the united of the local shipping industry and also show the cooperation between the industry and the government. The Hong Kong Shipping Association has played a very significant role. So, uh, Byung, I know that you have led this uh, very difficult uh, uh, challenge to talk to the government and to deal with the crisis, not only for the crew change crisis, but also because of this uh, third wave of Hong Kong uh, uh, pandemic, uh, all, 
you and together with the association also talk to uh, the public in Hong Kong to tell them how important of um, the true change and also uh, the shipping and the global, uh, global uh, supply chain. So I'd like to, you to, uh, uh, to share with us um, about the efforts taken by the Hong Kong ship industry, ship industry and the government to facilitate the crew changes and also the challenges that you think have been encountered and the current restriction manners, uh, measures imposed on crew change in Hong Kong. Beyond, please. Thank you very much, Edward, and thank you to CapitalLink for, for having me on this panel. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, we've, we've had our share of, of uh, challenges here in Hong Kong. Um, I, if you just take a step back to start with, the, reali the reality is that shipping perhaps is one of the least affected industries. I mean, it's remarkable how goods and, uh, and energy, you know, clothing, medical supplies, food, has continued to move around the world. The, the global supply chain that is shipping was very important before COVID-19. It's extremely important during COVID-19, and it's gonna remain important long after COVID-19 is gone. Um, <clears throat> all countries in the world benefit tremendously from this global supply chain. And, and uh, you know, someone has once said, if it wasn't for shipping, then half the population would freeze and the other half would, would starve to death. Perhaps it wouldn't freeze in Hong Kong, but then we wouldn't be cooled at, at least at this, uh, at this time. <laughs> I think it's, it's very true that uh, without shipping, we would all need uh, or miss our necessities. So we are all beneficiaries of shipping. Unfortunately, uh, the people on board the ships, the seafarers, they have been on the receiving end of this pandemic because it's been possible for them to get off and on their ships uh, in accordance with their contracts, simply because ports have closed down, airports have closed, borders have closed, home countries have closed. Um, now in Hong Kong, we engaged early with the government and uh, we actually had, you know, I think a very, a very responsive um, government here who said, yes, we can see why you are concerned and we should do our part. So by 9th of June, the government in Hong Kong pretty much opened for crew chains as normal. Now, there were a few restrictions in place in terms of, uh, of testing and, and, and screening and stuff like that. But uh, by and large, it was, it was, it was business as, as before. Now, that led to, since Hong Kong was the only country, only port in the, um, in the region that was completely open, that led to a huge uh, boom in the number of ships that called Hong Kong for crew chains. I think at one point, you know, the waters of, uh, of Lama here looked like Singapore Straits. We had so many ships calling just for crew chains. And, and we had some, some, something like uh, 500 uh, people a day going, going through Hong Kong for, for reaching their ships. As you said, after a few weeks, uh, we had sort of a new wave of infections in Hong Kong and the government was forced to close uh, down again, um, which is unfortunate. But I think it shows that, that unless every port and every country is doing their part, we cannot have just one country who is open or one port that's open because that's gonna overwhelm the system in that one, one place. So I think it's extremely important that, uh, that all, all countries in the world act, you know, realize how much of a beneficiary of shipping they are. 
and that they then reciprocate that, that uh, advantage by opening up for shipping to do the crew change uh, in the ports. I mean, we need that for the continuation of that global supply chain, which is so important to the world community. And we need it because it, there's a humanitarian crisis brewing on board. Our seafarers have gone the extra mile. They've been extremely worried in this period with family members maybe having COVID-19 or, or not being able to see them um, as per schedule. And still they have continued to perform their, their duties on board and carry goods around. And we, we owe it to them to make sure that they can actually come back. Now, things are very fluid and they keep moving. My biggest concern is that we continue to see this piecemeal action. So one port will open while another one will close. And uh, it's all a sort of beggar thy neighbor uh, policy where company, uh, countries or ports say, yeah, I, I, I agree, I benefit from this, but solving the problem is somebody else's uh, job. And that's a big worry for me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, uh, Bjorn. And indeed, that what I've uh, learned from this uh, um, cooperation between Hong Kong, sh Hong Kong shipping industry and the Hong Kong government is that it is very important for uh, 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 cooperation, for a smooth cooperation and also understanding uh, from the shipping industry, the public, and also the government. And indeed, actually, uh, like the international uh, maritime organization together with other uh, UN agencies and the non-governmental organization like us, the, the International Chamber of Shipping and the various uh, ship owners um, organizations are trying to urge the, uh, all the countries uh, to lift the restrictions on the crew change, not because only of the well-being of seafarers, which is of course the fundamental of human rights, but also it is a significant import, significantly important to uh, maintain the global chain. So um, um, my, my, my question now is that after, be, after being this kind of efforts made by the industry and then uh, the government, have you beyond, and also I'd like to uh, Denise and, uh, and Alan to, to, to share with us, have you seen any uh, improvement on the experience for the ship managers and operators to uh, carry out a crew change today? For example, now we are already in September, whether you see the improvement comparing with March or April, May. Beyond, you may let us have a short answer, then I will move on to Denise and Alan. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's, um, there has been some improvements. I mean, we, we pretty much closed uh, all crew chains in late March and, uh, and, and except for a few exceptions, uh, sort of ships calling India, etc., we, we only started again in, uh, in late May. So there was a period there where it was pretty much closed. It's better today, but I'm not so sure it's, uh, it's sustainable still. It's, it's still a, a, big, a big challenge and um, probably more because we've now gotten used to finding the corridors. It's not because the situation on the ground is, is that much better. Okay, uh, Dennis, do you, do you, do you agree with, uh, with Bjorn? Or what's your experience? Is it uh, still a significant block, a backlog of waiting uh, crew for work though? 
Uh, hello, Ed, and, and thanks for having me. Uh, to, uh, first, I would like to add to what uh, Bjorn was saying before. Uh, I think it's in order to make crew changes possible, it, it's important that everybody come together at the same time. Uh, and despite there has been a lot of um, collaboration, I think, in the industry uh, from various uh, international bodies and, and ship owners to, to, uh, to find a solution, then I think still think that shipping has failed to to make the public understand, as what Bjorn mentioned, that that shipping is important in order to to move the goods around and make sure we have food in the supermarket and make sure that we can uh, fill our cars with with fuel. Um, but also understanding that by having people that are very fatigued on board and has not been home with their families for for even more than a year for some, uh, that it also uh, poses a risk to to uh, for, for marine accidents and therefore also the environment. So I think until we make people understand uh, why it is important that we do crew changes, and why it is important that, that seafarers move through the countries, then we will continue to see a push from the public, like in Singapore or Hong Kong, asking why are you opening up for crew chain as a government? Why would we allow people coming in that has a risk of, uh, of spreading COVID-19 and starting a, a second or third wave or what it may be? And, and until we manage to do that, then I think we will continue to have uh, have prop to have problems. Um, sorry, uh, I can see I'm running out of battery on my computer. Um, maybe you can skip to Alan, then I'll just fix my <laughs> no problem, problem here. I can uh, I can take uh, <laughs> Yes, Alan. Uh, yeah, any any share with us? Yeah. So. <clears throat> Uh, in, in order not to repeat too much of what uh, neither uh, Mark, Bjorn, or Dennis has said, then obviously I agree with uh, with everything that's been said here uh, around the challenges we have. Um, and 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 I think just going one step back as well to what Mark was saying about learnings from this period of time. And I think when I when I walk to to work now and and you see people passing each other on the street, you you care more for each other's. You can say uh, that the distances apply. People are a little bit more maybe holding the door or whatever they do, and there's a little bit more respect for each other in this in this period of time. Uh, and I think people are, are are realizing the importance of what each contribution to society is, and and how we, if we apply a, a common set of rules and values, then we potentially can get through this uh, crisis in a in a better way. Um, but that being said, then uh, take that scenario and then said, how would that scenario look if 90% of what people were consuming every day uh, was not um, available to them and had not been available to them for the last two, three months, then maybe we would have seen completely different scenarios and, and maybe much more disorder around the world. And not that I wish that direction to go, um, but but it definitely that would be an eye-opener for people and that that brings me on to the same voices that's been heard here is that we need to get the public's attention on that our seafarers on board are uh, key workers they are heroes just as much as the nurse and the doctor who is now on billboards around where there's uh, you could say both commercial and governmental activities to honor these very very important people in our society and I would love the day that we see a doctor and a nurse and a seafarer standing next to each other on that billboard and, and people got that understanding. And I think, unfortunately, we need to get some part there in order to really open up the world uh, and, and, 
apply some of those common society rules as Bjorn is, is referring to that will help uh, that each port understands the importance and that we lift as a team rather than it's individual, you say countries or ports uh, understanding it and, and start uh, moving in the right direction. So, uh, but very, very um, challenging, um, you say, uh, conundrum as I've referred to before, this, uh, the crew change situation. And just to go into the, the journey we've been on, then since March, just like Bjorn, have locked down everything, then started crew changes again in, in, in April, late April into May. And, and at some point where we were 35% uh, of all our seafarers on board was overdue to, uh, compared to the contract. Then we are now, we are on 19% today. So that answers the, the, the issue around that it is getting better, but, it's, but it's, it's getting better because we have applied new norms because we have realized the industry, this is not gonna be a three month thing. We need to find a new norm to how to carry out crew changes under extreme circumstances. And that is tough. And that uh, has meant that uh, the crewing teams around the world has been working day and night. And, uh, and I have, I've been quoted before to say that a crew change today roughly takes five times as long time to administrate than under normal circumstances. Um, and then when you already have a backlog of, of crew being overdue, that's a tremendous pressure on the team. And not only, it's not only a crewing task as well, and that's, that's also what we, for instance, here in, in B Group have seen that crew change has become number one uh, issue for, the, for our CEO of the group, as well as everyone in, in the different departments suddenly recognize that this is on top of our agenda because uh, the guys out there are getting fatigued. Uh, it is very tough to be on board a vessel uh, when you are overdue in four or five months compared to your contract. So, uh, Edward, can I just add? Can I just add there from from a Colombian yes, perspective? Um, uh, everyone's focusing on crew change and crew rotation. I mean, that's just part of the problem. There's always a place where you can get your crew off. Uh, there is absolutely no point in taking uh, a crew from a very safe vessel where they have implemented all of the. Uh, health and hygiene provisions that we all circulate as companies, putting them into a, a port from which they uh, which they can't actually get home to, or uh, actually sending them home into an environment which, uh, certainly in the case of some of our crew, the majority of our crew are Filipinos, uh, going back into going back home to the Philippines, where uh, COVID is a, is at a much more aggressive. Uh, level and state than than uh, than than elsewhere. So you know we as employers have to be conscious of that and actually educate and communicate and identify with the crew to actually say, look, guys, yes, you've been on board the vessel ten months, but you're safer on board the vessel uh, than you would be uh, if we dropped you off at Port X and maybe we can't then get you back home. And you've got to bear with us and we're doing everything we possibly can. And it's this communication identification. I've talked about a wartime situation before where you know you didn't ask sailors during Second World War, how long have you been on board the vessel? They would have looked at you and thought, are you crazy? We're in a, we're in, we're in a wartime situation. Well, this is a, possibly a, a once or a twice in, in a lifetime event for most of us, let's hope. And we all have to um, you know, get through it as best we're able to, but communication and identification with the crew is what is key. And, and um, certainly we found 
uh, yes, it has been possible. We're down to uh, under 200 crew members who have been on board for um, over 12 months, so well under 200, which for the size of the crew pool is, 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 it's not good enough, but it's, 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 we still feel that that's uh, going in the right direction. And it's the morale on board our vessels is probably at an all time high because we're better communicating. We're doing things better now than we ever did uh, uh, before. So I think it's a, you know, we, we shouldn't treat crew, uh, we, we should treat our crew respectfully and intelligently and let them decide, you know, where, where, they're, where they're safest. And as long as they feel as though we're doing our best, that's what they need to see and, and have communicated to them. It, it maybe I can add now I'm uh, on power again here. Uh, so uh, uh, I think what we have seen, uh, I, I think there's still different, it depends on the region in the world whether uh, crew chains has improved or not improved. I think uh, places like South America, Africa, Asia is still, is still a challenge. Um, as, as Alan mentioned, we saw uh, a uh, good progress on our crew changes beginning of July until mid-August and, and now basically we are only managing to to keep it stagnant and we still have uh, have overdue crew on board and as, as Mark mentioned there's of course still many crew on board that are really really long overdue and I think we have to remember that there are even crew that don't come home to sick family members or when people die in the family or if the wife are giving birth so it's a huge uh, huge sacrifice they're making and, and it's a huge challenge um, the other thing is, uh, is we do see a lot of uh, problems, basically for India and Philippines with, with positive cases, and that's probably only going to get uh, more difficult uh, as we move forward and going to present even more challenges. We see today probably around 3% of crew testing positive during this whole uh, process of, of making them ready. And, and this is also where I think that uh, crew supply countries has an important role to play which I think they have not done enough. Uh, and, and that's for like what Bjorn, for example, says in Hong Kong with, with people arriving with COVID-19. Uh, I, I think the, the supply countries need to, to step up and, and do much more to try and ensure that the people that they're sending out are also uh, safe. Um, yeah, exactly, I agree. And, and, and uh, again, um, I think what, what I've learned from from Alan, uh, Dennis, and uh, Mark have said is that the appreciation is very important. For example, that as the ship owners and managers, it's necessary for us to appreciate the obli uh, our obligation towards the crews to uh, safeguard their uh, well-beings. For the crew members, they need also to understand because of their, uh, uh, their key role of maintaining the global uh, uh, supply chain, then of course that as just Mark said, that if being safe, being stay on board is uh, is much safer than uh, if they are uh, uh, moved to on, on board uh, on the uh, in the port or somewhere else. Then better that for them to stay on board, even if it is not a well very well satisfactory uh, situation. But on the other hand, what I'm concerned is that half big half. Um, the ship managers and operators change the way um, they operate the vessels uh, since the beginning of the outbreak of COVID-19 until now, now uh, to, in order to prevent COVID-19 uh, um, uh, infection among the crews. Because I, and I recall that when um, the Hong Kong shipping industry was 
was challenged by the local uh, local people here uh, to complaining about uh, the third wave of uh, coronavirus uh, 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 issue here is that why you, you want to make the crew change in Hong Kong uh, to then spread the virus to the local community. So as the ship manager and operator, what has been done by us to ensure the the pre, uh, ensure to prevent the COVID-19 infection. Denise and, and anything else to share with us? Yeah, I, I can I can maybe if if Edward I can I can go ahead a little bit on that one and say that that generally the industry we have been discussing in, in various forums as you said um, and uh, again as an example Philippines has been an area where we've seen quite a lot of positive cases both being stopped in the Philippines but also unfortunately uh, having been uh, successful in doing the crew chains and then later on found out that they were positive with COVID, right? Which most likely they, they carried from home. Um, and therefore in, in Philippines, as you see now, uh, several uh, companies, uh, including ourselves, for instance, we, 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 have, we have rented an entire hotel put uh, with 160 rooms where we are isolating people now up to 14 days giving them, uh, you could say, food at the door, giving them um, PCR testing at the door and, and following uh, the full procedure of isolation of a, a seafarer before he, you could say, enters the airport and thereby starts, of course, being exposed to, uh, you could say, the environment outside such an isolation. Uh, and that is, I, and I agree that we as an industry have to take a responsibility in ensuring compliance to a certain level of that, because otherwise governments will see this mass of, of, of seafarers traveling around the world and potentially spreading it continuously. Um, but that also comes with a lot of costs, a lot of costs involved with it, even before the seafarers reaches the airplane, which is also in these times extremely expensive. And in the end, somebody has to pay that bill. Uh, and I think that's where there is a discussion needed to be happening between uh, ship owners and charterers and the society in general. Why is potential freight cost, why is the banana I'm getting on my breakfast table here in London, uh, which is probably carried from Mindanao and Philippines, why is that not much more expensive right now uh, if there's all these extra costs associated with with carrying, uh, you say, uh, cargo around the world. So, um, so overall, uh, I think it's it's a challenge, and we need to do our part, of course. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Alan. And I think, um, as Terence mentioned at the very uh, beginning of his speech, uh, talking about China, uh, it is well known that of course China has emerged as a world leader in ship owning, port operations, and seafarer supply. Um, as Terence mentioned, of course, that the crew change of Chinese seafarers is possible uh, and uh, probably is very, very uh, smooth. But also it's understood that Chinese authorities are still very hesitant to uh, allow foreign crew into China in order to keep the numbers of new coronavirus infection from rising. Um, so I would like to, you know, uh, Terence, whether, because I have been inquired by a few members of our SAS checking with me because there are rumors suggesting that uh, Chinese government may uh, uh, relax the restriction on crew change. Um, 
do ha, have you have heard anything else? And do you see? Would you please introduce about the current status of China policy as to yeah, okay, change you, and also <coughs> any tips that you can share with us? Yeah, yeah. thank you. Thank you, Terence. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so all our panelists uh, speak so well about the whole situation in the world. So talking about China, uh, so now we can see a lot of ship owners, uh, they really have a headache uh, in having their ships calling China to do the cool change. Uh, first, I, I would like to, to share with the, uh, with the industry equity uh, owners, uh, equity we need to be more proactive to plan ahead. So actually we face many last minute requests to crew the vessel as honestly uh, hoping that cross-border restriction uh, will ease and they can put uh, their preferred crew on. <coughs> At least that's not the case. And also, uh, of course, uh, we can see the improvement. We are seeing more crew change compared to a few months ago, which means uh, not only China, countries are gradually opening up. So actually in China, the China government, they really uh, have been doing quite a lot of things um, to actually facilitate quick uh, change. Uh, as a country policy, we do have a lot of uh, policies uh, issued by uh, American city administration. Uh, so just give another example, you know, China, you know, our Chinese CPRS uh, certification system, we have a very stringent uh, certification and training process for Chinese virus. So during this uh, pandemic uh, high season in China in the last few months, so we can see the maritime authorities made uh, many changes to assist Chinese virus, uh, such as certification updates, uh, allow the accommodation of uh, their sea time. Uh, so like any other countries, uh, China are taking measures uh, apart to affect uh, could change. But if China open up too quickly to allow foreign crew aid, maybe increase the cases of imported COVID uh, like other countries. So uh, for what I can see uh, uh, in the near future, is uh, very less uh, possible uh, China will uh, actually relax uh, the restriction for foreign crew change uh, in China. So uh, maybe uh, what, what we can see uh, sometime next year, we will see something change. Uh, at the present moment, uh, actually for owners come to China for crew change, unless you have a crew get injured and not beat to sailing, that will be a special case. Uh, you can apply from the local port authority to sign off uh, this crew sent to the hospital. Other than that, uh, it's, it's a bit difficult to make good change uh, in China. Uh, that's all what I can see. And also another, uh, another note, now you know China is very big, we have so many ports, like Shanghai is the first one in China to, uh, to uh, effective this uh, uh, Chinese crew on and off, followed by other ports. But now in, in China, you can see your ship calling different ports, your treatment is very different. Uh, so, uh, this because in China, uh, you know, control of this COVID situation is still the number one KPI for the local government. So even the central government, they have a lot of things, but 
uh, come to the local government, they still can, uh, you know, make their own decision based on their own situation. So this one also, uh, I would suggest uh, owners, if you have sheets calling the port, uh, check first before you take any action. Uh, thank you. Yes, thank you. Second terrorist. Um, we probably only have uh, five minutes left. So uh, with my legal background, I'm always uh, concerned about the legal implications of COVID-19. And we all know that actually Mark, before he joined uh, Columbia, he was a practicing solicitor and we were actually uh, the colleagues from RISMIS. Uh, so I, I'd like to discuss about the legal implication, probably, uh, probably not the last question, but uh, indeed, uh, which is also concerned by most of the ship owners and managers. Uh, for example, on, uh, the, regarding charter parties and the crew employment issues, uh, re regarding the charter party, one of the most important issues the, is the vessel's deviation to conduct a crew change. And, and as far as I understand, um, many charters are still very uh, reluctant to accommodate even minor deviation by ships to facilitate crew change. Um, so, and even, even of course, that the costs are met by uh, ship owners only. And on the other hand, for the crew employment issues, because to uh, maintain the safety of crew on board is a, a primary obligation of ship owners. So Mark, from your um, experience, both as a lawyer and now as a ship manager, what kind of legal problems you see and what kind of advice you would give to all the ship owners and operators dealing with these kind of issues from legal, legal view. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, thank you, uh, Edward, for reminding me of my past, which I thought I'd uh, escaped from. No, I, I, think the, um, I, I think there is no clear legal answer to the, the conundrum that we find ourselves in, and, and probably that's a good thing. And, and I say that with reservation because otherwise the, the wheels would have come off this juggernaut or the propeller would have come off this vessel if, if it was clear as to obligations and, and, and crew's rights and charter's owner's rights. There is, there is simply no, no answer. This is not a, a, a force majeure. This is, um, uh, there is no legal provision in most charter parties uh, and management agreements, etc., which require or entitle crew change on a regular basis. We can look at the Hague-Visby allowing for reasonable deviation. Uh, we can look at the MLC provisions um, requiring contracts no longer than 12 months. But the fact, the reality is, it's just not possible. And, and you know, we are all, uh, we all appreciate the importance of crew to our businesses and to us as people. Uh, and of course, if we can do anything to alleviate their uh, suffering, we, we would of course do that without being contractually obliged uh, to do that. I think the, um, the best focus here is not on legal rights. The best focus is on managing expectation. And uh, you know, I think that applies across the board. And if you are a crew member, I remember when I was in the army and I was stuck in the desert for six months, expecting to be taken out after one month after the particular operation had been completed. No one managed my expectation. Every day I waited for a notification uh, of the plane that would come and take us away. And that's what really pissed me off. It was this lack of managing expectation. It was lack of communication. It was lack of identification. 
And as a whole, I think we're doing that much, much better. And that is certainly reflected in, as I said before, the morale of the crew on board. They know we're doing everything they can. And if somebody knows that someone is doing everything they possibly can to alleviate their problem, then they're going to work with the situation. And, you know, we're focusing very much on crew here. Uh, there's not one single person on this call or not one single person of the, those that we know that, have, that haven't had their lives radically altered. It's not just crew. It's all of us. You know, our lives have changed radically. And, uh, you know, as I said, it's, it's uh, managing expectation, communication, identification. If we do that, then we will, we will secure their continued buy-in. And, of course, we have to show them and demonstrate that we're doing absolutely everything possible to uh, get them off whenever we can safely and get them back home safely. But it's that whole process. It's not just getting them off. I don't think legal formulas or legal uh, or control rights are the answer to this and probably thankfully because uh, that would have probably caused the breakdown of the whole logistics um, uh, framework yeah. that uh, Bjorn was talking about. Yes, thanks, thanks Mark. And time is almost up so I'd like to uh, ask Bjorn to give a conclusion of today's uh, panel discussion and, and see what's the prospect of crew change issues. Bjorn. Thanks, thanks, Edward. I just, uh, you know, a closing remark from me would be that, you know, crew change is possible, also possible to do safely. I mean, Alan was talking about some of these quite strong um, SOPs they're using to, to make sure that crew change happens safely. Since 1st of April, we have done 18,000 crew changes and we have had precisely zero outbreaks of COVID-19 on board. So it can be done safely. I just want to sort of uh, say that shipping is a very free, econ uh, free industry and, and has always prospered from being, um, being that. Now, IMO has got a very important principle, no more uh, favorable treatment. And I think it's important that we keep that in mind. Uh, the worst thing that can happen is that if every port or every flag starts favoring their own and say, well, if you have this flag, you can do crew chains here. Or if you have this nationality crew, you can do crew chains here. Shipping is international, and we need to make sure that the, that the playing field stays level. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Bjorn, and thank you very much indeed all. Uh, I trust that we have a very insightful discussion, and hopefully that uh, the situation can be improved as soon as possible, and then we can get rid of this uh, crew change crisis. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much again. And thank you for listening, everyone. And thank you thank from you. my end as well to all of you for a great discussion in one of the most critical topics of the industry today. Thank you.